everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast. This is episode number 102. Today's big Bible question, how can the wounds of a friend be trusted? The world has changed. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. Time no longer has any meaning. Is today Thursday, or is it all just one long, endless day? Oh, sorry about that. I mean, uh, happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome into the real episode number 100 of the Bible Reading Podcast. This is it. I know it says number 102, but like I said before, I actually skipped episode number 92, and then there was one other day when we split the Bible reading and the Bible commentary into two different episodes, and Libsyn made me number them. So this is it. This is really episode number 100. I'm going to celebrate by taking the day off. See you tomorrow. Godspeed. Oh, okay, okay, maybe maybe not. Maybe that would be a bad idea. Let's just go into the Bible readings. Today's Bible readings include Leviticus 13, Psalms 15 and 16, Proverbs 27, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Our big Bible question is from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, where it says, Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Now, I don't know about you, but honestly, I'd rather be greeted by a holy kiss rather than a friendly wounding. But Proverbs here is telling us something significant. An enemy might give excessive kisses and compliments and flattery, etc. But when a real friend wounds you, then you can be sure that those wounds are good, trustworthy. So what's up with that? And why are we wounding each other anyway? Shouldn't we just encourage each other and stay away from all this wounding stuff? Well, let's go read Proverbs 27. Then we're going to come back and talk about whether or not it is appropriate to, at least sometimes, wound your friend. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand a burden, but aggravation from a fool outweighs them both. Fury is cruel and anger a flood, but who can withstand jealousy? Better an open reprimand than concealed love. The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. A person who is full tramples on a honeycomb, but to a hundred person, any bitter thing is sweet. Anyone wandering from his home is like a bird wandering from its nest. Oil and incense bring joy to the heart, and the sweetness of a friend is better than self-counsel. Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Be wise, my son, and bring my heart joy so that I can answer anyone who taunts me. A sensible person sees danger and takes cover. The inexperienced keep going and are punished. Take his garment, for he's put up security for a stranger. Get collateral if it is for foreigners. If one blesses his neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be counted as a curse to him. An endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. The one who controls her controls the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. Iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. Whoever tends a fig will eat its fruit, a fig tree will eat its fruit, 
And whoever looks after his master will be honored. As water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and people's eyes are never satisfied. A crucible refines silver, a smelter refines gold, and a person refines his praise. Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with grain, you will not separate his foolishness from him. Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. For wealth is not forever, not even a crown lasts for all time. When hay is removed and new growth appears and the grain from the hills is gathered in, lambs will provide your clothing and goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, food for your household, and nourishment for your female servants. So back to our big Bible question. Why are we wounding friends anyway? Think about the worst injury that you've ever had. For me, at least one of the worst physical injuries I've ever had was a a shoulder injury that I obtained one morning in 1991 when a good friend of mine and I skipped school and went caving in a remote area. I was attempting to climb up a wall in the cave when the rocks under my feet gave way and I about was sliding down the rock wall, and all my weight was hanging on my right arm, which promptly dislocated. And so I fell into this sort of pit area, and I tried to climb out six or seven more times, and each time my arm at the shoulder kept coming out of socket, which was not a happy experience. I don't I was close to shock. It was nauseating. The pain was intense, blah, blah, blah. Uh, despite two surgeries on that arm, one, which was by maybe the one of the best surgeons in the world, Dr. James Andrews, my shoulder is pretty much hurt almost every day since then. Not 100% of the time does it hurt, but honestly, almost every day it hurts. Now imagine this. What if a friend could foresee what was coming. And as I was walking to my car that day, my friend stopped me, kicked me in the shin, and wouldn't let me go. Well, you know what? That bruise on my shin, it probably would have hurt. It would definitely qualify as a wounding of sorts. But imagine if I didn't go that day. That would have saved me a lifetime of shoulder pain. I would have been a fool to turn such a wounding down. Yeah, it would have hurt, but not nearly as much as my shoulder's pain has hurt over the years. That's the dynamic that Proverbs is telling us about. The wounds from a friend help us to avoid the often permanent and sometimes catastrophic maimings from sin. I've had the privilege of having a number of high-caliber, high-quality, good people as friends, and I'm really grateful for that. People that weren't just in it for the fun of it or to have a good time or, you know, for their own selfish advantage or whatever, but faithful friends and brothers who, they were great teammates and they helped me to be a better man. I can think of a lot of times in my life, because I was a mess, still am a mess, where a friend would step in front of me when I was headed towards trouble and they would have a hard conversation with me maybe warning me, lovingly wounding me, to spare me from much greater and more catastrophic injury. I can think of several times in my life, many times, times that I wasn't particularly happy about in the moment, but I'm immensely grateful for now, when a loving friend just stepped in my way and wounded me in order to help me. For instance, once in the mid-90s, I went through a phase where I was disillusioned with the church. There's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. 
And they, um, I don't know, they love traditions instead of they love loving God and his word and all this kind of stuff. And in the midst of that disillusionment, I was befriended by a group of people that seemed really passionate and on fire for God. Man, they were after it. Some people kind of thought they were a cult, but I'd never heard of this, them, and didn't think they were a cult. All I could see was their refreshing passion. And I was honestly kind of tired of dry and dusty religion. So I sort of began to meet with them some. Not a whole lot, not whole hog, but occasionally. And truth be told, they were kind of drawing me in just a little bit, uh, maybe even a medium bit. However, a Christian friend of mine grew kind of concerned about that, actually did some research, which was more difficult back then because there wasn't much of an internet around, and he had a very hard meeting with me in which he solemnly warned me about joining that group. It wasn't hard because he was mean, but it was hard because it was kind of awkward, and I didn't really listen to him at first. He won me over, however, and I'll just be honest with you, I am eternally grateful to that guy that he chose to wound me rather than let me suffer a fate much worse than wounding. In the latter 90s, had a different friend who valued integrity when I didn't that much, and he was a very close friend and still is. And he would walk beside me and lovingly wounded me many times over the years about my habit and sin of lying and telling half-truths. Over the course of years, and honestly many faithful wounds, I think I was brought around to more of a place of repentance. And I learned to value the truth in a much greater way, probably saving myself and my family the damage that it would have been done by thousands of lies and half-truths. That same friend also lovingly wounded me in the early 2000s over my habit, uh, or sin, I'm not trying to cover for it, but my sin of pirating music and games. I, you know, I had Napster back in the day, and Kazaa, and uh, LimeWire, and I could probably name all the others because, you know, I was pretty good at downloading, downloading a lot of MP3s and music and things like that, and, and uh, games and, and stuff, and uh, I was kind of a software cracker. Well, digital th- thievery, I reason, surely is not as bad as physical thievery, right? Nobody's getting hurt, but my friend sort of helped me open my eyes to that. Yeah, there were more wounds, and yes, there was more repentance, but honestly, there was a lot more maimings from sin that I avoided because of that faithful brother. I can count countless other times when that dynamic happened, but the point is that when somebody loves us and wants the best for us, We can actually trust that their wounds and their words are designed for our best. Now, Jesus actually gives us sort of a pattern when this sort of thing is going on. Matthew chapter 18 gives us an idea how to do this when it says in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. So there is this process of peacemaking and wounding that occasionally becomes necessary in Scripture. So here's a question. When? When should you and I consider wounding a friend? I think it should be rare, to be honest with you, because we're not uh, critics, we're friends. But here's a few insights on that. Hopefully they're worth something. When should you consider wounding a friend? Number one, when it will clearly and obviously benefit and help 
them in the wrong long run. Now, be careful when, quote, wounding a friend with your words when you will be the primary benefactor of their repentance. Maybe they're stepping all over your toes and you think, well, I need to wound them with a harsh word so that they can stop doing that. Wounds from a friend are trustworthy precisely because they aren't motivated by selfish causes, but by love for one another. So if you're thinking about rebuking somebody and confronting them and possibly wounding them because they're harming you in some way or you'll benefit out of it, maybe tap the brakes a little bit on that. This is not a command given to us in order to protect ourselves. All right, number two, we should consider wounding a friend when what they are doing is clearly and obviously unbiblical, sinful, and will lead them into the dangers of sin. We should avoid, on the other hand, wounding a brother or sister about the kind of doubtful matters that are addressed in Romans chapter 14. You know, maybe something like, is your brother not celebrating the Sabbath the way you do? Does he eat only vegetables and you eat meat or vice versa? Does he celebrate Easter and you don't celebrate Easter or vice versa? Does he believe in open communion and you believe in fencing the table? Look, it's fine to have an opinion on those kind of doubtful matters. It's even fine to discuss that opinion from the Bible and even debate about it a little bit in order to try and reach a faithful biblical conclusion. But I don't think you or I are allowed to wound a friend on doubtful matters. Romans 14, Paul says, one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And... We're not standing before the judgment seat of each other is kind of the implication there. Finally, number three, actually two more. Number three, we can, in some cases, consider wounding a friend or a brother when you can do that wounding with the meekness and humility of Christ and without having a plank in your own eye, which represents hypocrisy. Let's think about it. If you're a drunkard, thinking you need to go wound a liar, or you're a liar, thinking you need to go confront and rebuke a drunkard, then Jesus' counsel to you would probably be, first, remove the plank from your eye, and then when that's removed, you can figure out how to be a faithful friend to somebody else and wound them. If you're being dominated by a particular sin, now is not the time for you to go around wounding somebody else. First, repent of that thing and let that plank be removed from your eye. Finally, you can consider wounding a friend when you can be sure that you yourself aren't a professional critic or friend wounder. If you find yourself in the position of being a constant friend wounder, maybe it's possible that you're giving into judgmentalism and a spirit of criticism rather than actually seeking the overall good of your brothers. It's not your business or my business to criticize. It's your business and my business, our calling and our joy 
to edify, which means build up. So Ephesians 5.21 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If you're a constant critic, you're not building up and you're not giving grace, you're probably just a critical person. And James 4.11 says, Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And we're not called to be a judge. We're not called to be critics. We're called to be edifiers, those who build up. So let me close with some thoughts on Spurgeon, then we'll read some more of our scriptures. Spurgeon says, true friends are very scarce. We have a great many acquaintances, and sometimes we call them friends. And sometimes doing that, we misuse the noble word friendship. Perhaps for some, after a bit of adversity, when these so-called friends have looked out for their own interests and left us to do the best we can for ourselves, that word friendship may come back to us with sad and sorrowful associations. The friend indeed is the, in need is the friend indeed, and such friends, I say again, are scarce. When you have found such a man, a faithful friend in other words, and prove the sincerity of his friendship when he has been faithful to your father and to you, grapple or hook him to yourself with hooks of steel and never let him go. It may be that because he is a faithful friend, he will sometimes vex and anger and wound you. And see how Solomon puts it in this very chapter. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It takes a good deal of friendship, says Spurgeon, to be able to tell a man of his faults. It's no friendship that flatters. It is a small friendship that holds its tongue when it ought to speak. But it is true friendship that can speak at the right time, and if need be, even speak so sharply as to cause a wound. If you are like many other foolish folk, you will be angry with the man who is so much your friend that he will tell you the truth. If you are unworthy of your friend, you will begin to grow weary of him when he is performing on your behalf the most heroic act of pure charity by warning you of your danger and reminding you of your imperfection. Solomon, in prospect of such a case, knowing that this is one of the greatest trials of friendship among such poor and imperfect beings as we are, tells us not to forsake our friends for this reason. The man who has been to us and to our family a true friend, your friend and your father's friend, do not forsake them. That's good counsel. So be on the lookout for faithful friends. When they wound you, you can trust their wounds are for your benefit. And think really hard and really biblically before you decide to wound somebody else. But when it is time to benefit and edify them with your words of challenge, do so without hesitation if you know your heart is for their good and their best. All right, let's read Leviticus chapter 13, skin diseases. Oh boy. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, when a person has a swelling scab or spot on the skin of his body, and it may be a serious disease on the skin of his body, he is to be brought to the priest Aaron or to one of his sons, the priests. The priest will examine the sore on the skin of his body. If the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is in fact a serious skin disease. After the priest examines him, he must pronounce him unclean. But if the spot on the skin of his body is white and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest will quarantine the stricken person for seven days. 
The priest will then re-examine him on the seventh day. If he sees that the sore remains unchanged and is not spread on the skin, the priest will quarantine him another seven days. The priest will examine him again on the seventh day. If the sore has faded and is not spread on the skin, the priest is to pronounce him clean. It is a scab. The person is to wash his clothes and will become clean. But if the scab spreads further on his skin after he has presented himself to the priest for his cleansing, he is, present, he is to present himself again to the priest. The priest will examine him, and if the scab has spread on the skin, then the priest must pronounce him unclean. He has a serious skin disease. When a case of serious skin disease may have developed on a person, he is to be brought to the priest. The priest will examine him. If there is a white swelling on the skin that has turned the hair white, and there is a patch of raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic serious disease on the skin of his body, and the priest must pronounce him unclean. He need not quarantine him, for he is unclean. But if the skin disease breaks out all over the skin, so that it covers all the skin of the stricken person from his head to his feet so far as the priest can see, the priest will look, and if the skin disease has covered his entire body, he is to pronounce the stricken person clean, since he is turned totally white. He is clean. But where, whenever raw flesh appears on him, he will be unclean. When the priest examines the raw flesh, he must pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean. This is a serious skin disease. But if the raw flesh changes and turns white... He is to go to the priest. The priest will examine him, and if the sore is turned white, the priest must pronounce the stricken person clean. He is clean. When a boil appears on the skin of someone's body and it heals, and a white swelling or a reddish-white spot develops where the boil was, the person is to present himself to the priest. The priest will make an examination, and if the spot seems to be beneath the skin and the hair in it has turned white, the priest must pronounce him unclean. It is a case of a serious skin disease that is broken out in the boil. But when the priest examines it, if there is no white hair in it, and if it is not beneath the skin but is faded, the priest will quarantine him seven days. If it spreads further on the skin, the priest must pronounce him unclean. It is in fact a disease. But if the spot remains where it is and does not spread, it is only the scar from the boil. The priest is to pronounce him clean. When there is a burn on the skin of one's body produced by fire, and the patch made raw by the burn becomes reddish white or white, the priest is to examine it. If the hair in the spot is turned white and the spot appears to be deeper than the skin, it is a serious skin disease that is broken out in the burn. The priest must pronounce him unclean. It is a serious skin disease. But when the priest examines it, if there is no white hair in the spot and it is not beneath the skin but is faded, the priest will quarantine him seven days. The priest will examine him on the seventh day. If it is spread further on the skin, the priest must pronounce him unclean. It is in fact a case of serious skin disease. But if the spot has remained where it was and is not spread on the skin but is faded, it is the swelling from the burn. The priest is to pronounce him clean, but for it is only the scar from the burn. When a man or woman has a condition on the head or chin, the priest is to examine the condition. If it appears to be deeper than the skin and the hair in it is yellow and sparse, the priest must pronounce the person unclean. It is a scaly outbreak, a serious skin disease of the head or chin. When the priest examines the scaly condition, if it does not appear to be deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, the priest will quarantine the person with the scaly condition for seven days. The priest will re-examine the condition on the seventh day. If the scaly outbreak has not spread and there's no yellow hair in it and it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, the person is to shave himself but not shave the scaly area. Then the priest will quarantine the person who has the scaly outbreak for another seven days. 
The priest will examine the scaly outbreak on the seventh day, and if it is not spread on the skin and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, the priest is to pronounce the person clean. He is to wash his clothes and he will be clean. But if the scaly outbreak spreads further on the skin after his cleansing, the priest is to examine the person. If the scaly outbreak has spread on the skin, the priest does not need to look for yellow hair. The person is unclean. But if, as far as he can see, the scaly outbreak remains unchanged and black hair has grown in it, then it is healed. He is clean. The priest is to pronounce the person clean. When a man or a woman has white spots on the skin of his body, the priest is to make an examination. If the spots on the skin of the body are dull white, It is only a rash that is broken out on the skin. The person is clean. If a man loses the hair of his head, he is bald, but he is clean. Or if he loses the hair at his hairline, he is bald on his forehead, but he is clean. But if there is a reddish-white condition on the bald head or forehead, it is a serious skin disease breaking out on his head or forehead. The priest is to examine him, and if the swelling of the condition on his bald head or forehead is reddish-white, like the appearance of a serious skin disease on the body, The man is afflicted with a serious skin disease. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. The infection is on his head. The person who has a case of serious skin disease is to have his clothes torn and his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He will remain unclean as long as he has the the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. If a fabric is contaminated with mildew in wool or linen fabric, in the warp or weft of linen or wool, or in leather or anything made of leather, and if the contamination is green or red in the fabric, the leather, the warp, the weft, or any leather article, it is a mildew contamination and is to be shown to the priest. The priest is to examine the contamination and quarantine the contaminated fabric for seven days. The priest is to examine, to re-examine the contamination on the seventh day. If it is spread in the fabric, the warp, the weft, or the leather, regardless of how it is used, the contamination is harmful, mildew, it is unclean. He is to burn the fabric, the warp, or weft, in wool or linen, or any leather article which is contaminated. Since it is harmful, mildew, it must be burned. When the priest examines it, if the contamination is not spread in the fabric, the warp, or weft, or any leather article... The priest is to order whatever is contaminated to be washed in quarantine for another seven days. After after it has been washed, the priest is to re-examine the contamination. If the appearance of the contaminated article has not changed, it is unclean. Even though the contamination has not spread, you must burn the fabric. It is a fungus on the front or back of the fabric. If the priest examines it and the contamination has faded after it has been washed, He is to cut the contaminated section out of the fabric, the leather, or the warp or weft. But if it reappears in the fabric, the warp or weft, or any leather article, it is broken out again. You must burn whatever is contaminated. But if the contamination appears, disappears from the fabric, the warp or weft, or any leather article, which have been washed, it is to be washed again and it will be clean. This is the law concerning a mildew contamination in wool or linen fabric, warp or weft, or any leather article in order to pronounce it clean or unclean. Psalm chapter 15 verse 1. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives blamelessly practices righteousness 
and acknowledges the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost, who does not lend his silver at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be shaken. Psalm chapter 16. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have nothing good beside you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another god for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are also suffering, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. On that day, when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, may the name of Jesus be glorified by you and by me. May the Lord bless you. May he use his word to build you up. Good day to you and Godspeed.